Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Imagine this you're stranded on an island forever. But don't freak out because you get to bring one dish with you your desert island dish. What is it? Every week, your hosts, Paul and Tegan, that's us, hello, hello will ask this question. They'll chat with and torment a literal raft of guests on the island who'll dish up stories, gossip, and culinary secrets. But they all have one big thing in common they bloody love food. Welcome to Dish Island. Hello and welcome to another episode of Dish Island. I'm Paul Verhoeven and that right there is Tegan Higginbotham. And Paul? Yes? It's beginning. What, the end of the world? <laughs> no, Paul. It's beginning to look like Christmas. I'm sorry. I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. Yeah, no, we watched Dante's Peak recently and we were watching a lot of disaster films and when you said it's beginning, I thought, what, the tremors? Gosh, Paul, it's almost like you've been living through a pandemic for the past two years. I am deeply traumatised, <laughs> but the only thing that's really pulling me through, and I can tell by the light in your eyes that it's for you as well, is the fact that Christmas is coming. And I'm actually into it this year. Last year it felt different. I don't know, I was struggling to embrace the Christmas spirit, but You're... this year I've got the spirit all up in the house. I can't imagine why you were a little bit bummed last year, but this feels like a proper Christmas. There's a real vibe in the air. I'm already planning Christmas dinner, or mm-hmm. I should say Christmas dinners, because we're going to be doing two this year, yep. and we're having those conversations. I've got my wrapping paper colour theme sorted out. I'm going with a pastel pink lovely, um, and a nice green, and I'm matching that with a brown paper, so it's got a kind of deconstructed. I don't know. It's really nice. Oh, the people's paper. It's the people's paper. Yep. I'm just, I'm leaning in. So, Paul, clearly we love Christmas. So much so that we are launching a mini Christmas series called The 12 Days of Dishmas starting on the 1st of December. But no matter how much we love it, we will never compare to today's guest. He is Christmas through and through. Maybe he's Santa. Knowing his workload, it would not surprise me. It would explain why he's so tired all the time. No, I think that's just because he, he <laughs> operates in the food industry. <laughs> so does Santa, in a way, you know. And he does seem to have a lot of elves around. Anyway, Santa or no, today's guest is a pastry chef, an author, and a dessert warlock. He was head pastry chef at Vue de Monde, and now he and his wife and business partner the Kath Claringbold run the acclaimed Birch and Purchase Sweet Studio. He's also got the record for setting the most pressure tests on MasterChef ever and is renowned for making said tests as cruel and impossible as he can, <laughs> which might be why he's so much fun to watch. And as mentioned by Tegan, he is also Santa Claus. Please give it up for the incandescent Darren Purchase. Welcome to Dish Island, Darren. Now, it's almost Christmas time, so we thought we would kick off by asking you, like a a dessert warlock, what do you (laughs) regard as the quintessential Christmas dish? Well, um, yeah, that's interesting that you're asking me. I love Christmas, and I I get my tree up 
really early every year. Um, and I'm not ashamed to say that, um, especially the last couple of years. You know, it's been a bit rubbish. So any excuse for a bit of joy, get that tree up. And this year it was up on the 31st of October. Um, <laughs> no! <laughs> yeah, well, first draft anyway, first draft. Um, always adding a few bits to it. And uh, um, I'm pretty happy with it right now. It's twinkling away. So, um, yeah, do love Christmas. And I guess Christmas is all about food. Um, so for, certainly for me as well, you know, obviously family, friends getting together, food is a massive part of that. Um, you know, being from the UK, <laughs> food over there uh, is a lot different to food over this side of the world, um, especially at Christmas time. Um, I think that I, I think my experience tells me the lack of anything fresh in the northern hemisphere um in in in, no, in december in winter is uh, is probably a testament to the sort of food they eat over there the food the food that um you get to eat in the uk at christmas time is stuff that's going to keep you alive keep you warm <laughs> and keep you keep you warm um, <laughs> um so certainly i'd never i'd never had a mango uh, at christmas until i came to australia i'd never had sort of you know fresh Fruits, berries, uh, you know, pavlova was something that was the, the most exotic thing I'd ever heard of. So when I came to Australia, I was fully, um, I was, you know, embraced the fresh food and the, the completely change of cuisine. I do love Christmas pudding. I love traditions at Christmas. But, you know, give me fresh food. Give me mangoes. Give me cherries. Give me raspberries. Um, you know, give me that any day, any, any year. Um, I love it. So I guess for me... A pavlova really says sort of Christmas to me. Um, obviously, I'm a dessert chef. I, I cook savoury as well, but I'm leaning towards towards dessert answers all the time, I guess. Um, and a, a, a passion fruit and mango pavlova is, that's what I think of in my head when I think Christmas now. And if you'd have asked me that um, before I moved to Australia, it would have been a totally different answer. But I'm really, I'm really in love with, um, you know, the pav and the sort of fresh and cool, flavors of christmas over here obviously seafood as well are you one of these british people because we've got a few friends out from the uk and they bloody love it down here which is nice but when paul and i went to the uk and had christmas over there we went oh finally this is what christmas is meant to be we think christmas here is shit but you (laughs) sounds like you're a bit of a fan of an aussie style christmas yeah i am Uh, i very much so you know i my memories of Christmas, obviously, are from my childhood, being back in the UK. They're, they're, they're some of the best memories of, you know, my family life. I was, I'm very fortunate. I was brought up with, uh, um, you know, my mum and dad and my sister. We lived in the south of England, just south of London. So we lived in a nice part of the world. Um, and, you know, I had a great upbringing, great childhood. Um, you know, we weren't rich, but I certainly never I went for anything. So um, when I think back to the UK, my fondest memories in my in my family are Christmas time. It was always a big deal. Mum still makes a big deal of it now. She's trying to, she's messaging me the whole time. You know, what can I send you? What can I send you? I'm saying, leave it. You know, let's let's save it for experiences. Or you know, it's it's pointless sending stuff these days all over the world. Um, mm. But um, you know, my favourite memories are of Christmas in the UK. It was such a fantastic time. But I tell you what, if I had to make the choice, I I love. I love cooking in my shorts. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> There's a confession. So, I mean, I love cooking full stop, but I've got I've got the full chef gear on when I'm at work, you know, and I, I do lots of different stuff. But 
when I, as soon as I get home, Kath laughs her head off, my wife, Kath. Um, I just, I kick off my shoes and I get my shorts on. And I'm, if I'm by the barbecue with, with a pair of shorts on and uh, just enjoying, you know, beautiful weather outside, then that's me in my element. It's kind of like I've cooked all day, but I come home and do like my cooking for me, I guess. So, uh, yeah, anything where I can cook my shorts on. So barbecues and uh, social events sort of outside cooking is, is where it's at. And Christmas really is um, where you can really do that, I guess. Oh, I'm thrilled that the shorts stay on. I thought we had another naked chef on our hands. But, um, <laughs> so you you came over here to Australia and in the past, what's it been, 10 or 15 years or so, you've just built this this huge empire, so much so that when you see a dessert now that's one of your desserts, you just know it's one of your desserts. And I love that. But I, I was reading through your um, your Christmas menu for this year of all the desserts and one just summed you up so well. <laughs> which was this the bake at home mince pies are amazing but you've also you've got this big pie but it's got ready baked brownie so i guess it's your bake at home brownie it includes yeah. ready baked brownie chocolate covering salted caramel honeycomb freeze dried berries vanilla marshmallow gingerbread pieces gold crispy pearls chocolate shards fun chocolate christmas garnish on top i mean that is just so you in that it's it's everything without the kitchen sink. I mean, holy shit, Darren. Yeah, that, I mean, uh, that, that's my loaded brownie. So, uh, you know, it's one of the most popular items. So, um, you know, it's fantastic. It's got everything on there. And, it's, it, you know, it comes with a little video. So I'm kind of making it. And then you can copy me and kind of do the whole thing. And this sort of stemmed from, um, I guess, you know, uh, what's been happening the last couple of years, COVID and stuff, you know, completely changed my business and changed certain things on my menu and I had to adapt and, you know, we all say the word pivot. I guess I had to pivot and I came up with this range of uh, um, stuff that people make at home. And it's like, what have I been doing my whole life? <laughs> I, I tra- I've been training to, to make all these awesome dishes, but now I can literally, um, I just give them the recipe and they make it at home. <laughs> so um, who knew a chef could work from home? And that's something I discovered during lockdown. So uh, I've been, I've been really excited to change my life and I create all these new dishes or all these new ideas and then kind of um, Kath films me making them at home and we post the video and then uh, and then they can kind of buy the bits from me and then get creative in the kitchen. So it really is a win-win for everyone because everyone loves to kind of make things, uh, you know, everyone loves to cook or, or a lot of people love to cook or the idea of creating something amazing for their friends and family. Um, but I try and make it absolutely foolproof. So even though there's a bit of cooking involved, you're pretty much going to get the same result with me if you follow the steps and all the bits are there. So it's really fun. And yeah, you know, it's a talking point and it gets people around the table and just loving each other and loving food and loving Christmas. I think that's really positive, Darren, but I am slightly concerned that you might be training people to cook your... I mean, will they need you if they can cook your dishes perfectly? Or do you leave out a key ingredient? Like some... <laughs> so you just, you know, do you know what? I, I'd never do that. Um, I, when, I was, when I was a young chef, um, it was like, you know, pre-internet. I'm, I'm not a dinosaur, but, you know, we didn't have smartphones and stuff. And really, um, you know, trying to find out about different food and different chefs around the world, you have to go and buy the cookbook. And a lot of chefs then, they deliberately put wrong stuff in their cookbook because they were so yeah they're so scared of you know um someone replicating what they did or you know you know they've been guarding this recipe their whole life and a lot of like top name chefs as well and uh, i won't say any but i I only (laughs) just 
I only discovered it in later life when, you know, I knew how to make things myself. And then I thought, you know, I'll go back and find that recipe and see if, and yeah, yeah, it's wrong. And, and I kind of know that um, some of it was mistakes, but a lot of the time in the past, chefs would kind of guard stuff. But, <gasps> I, you know, I'm, I'm kind of from the generation or I'm kind of, I have the mindset of absolutely give everything away. And number one, um, you can kind of take ownership, especially now with, with the internet, you know, if you t- if you give something away and someone references you, then it's kind of there forever. Mm. Um, and also, uh, you know, you, you want people to succeed, but also you don't want to be making the same things yourself the whole time. And it pushes you to create new stuff. So everyone else is making the last thing that you've given them. Then it's like, well, what am I going to make? I'm going to have to come up with something brand new or I'm going to have to experiment with this. So uh, for me, I, I just want to pass on all that information. So my cookbooks and my recipes that I post online and they're 100% bang on. If there's any mistakes, they're, they're administration mistakes because <laughs> I do it all myself. Um, but I do, I do love that people make my stuff and make recipes and then post and say, you know, Darren purchased recipe, it works really well. And my family loved it. And, you know, everyone really enjoyed it. And now it's become a tradition. We make it every year and then they post stuff. And that stuff is what it's all about for me. And um, we, I sit, you know, with Caf at home, and we flick for our phone, and we we check um we check what people have made, and it just makes us feel really great. And you know that's what it's all about. I reckon. Don't guard it. Don't don't keep it a secret. Let's put it out there so everyone can enjoy it. We've we've tried several of your recipes, and they're incredible. I buggered one up, but that was my fault, I think. But um, <laughs> we, we here's a question. Talking about giving things away, I got to do one of your masterclasses for the. Basque cheesecake, which you have now become a bit famous for. Yeah. And I did it with a friend of mine and the class was great. She's made it twice since and it's been the most delicious thing we've ever had. But we have a very important question. So during this masterclass, you took us through how to make, I think it was two different cheesecakes. You had several other mini cheesecakes already there prepped from earlier. There was another one going in the oven, I think. And my big question to you is, where did all those cheesecakes go? Because you said you were going to eat them and I think you might have and I have so much respect if you did. <laughs> Do you know what? I, I, gave it, I gave it a good crack. We got through a few of them. Don't think that I'm one of those chefs who, uh, you know, I don't eat my own stuff or, or you know, one of the, those pastry chefs where I don't eat sugar, you know. No, we, we get stuck in. But there was quite a lot. So we take it to work because the guys love it. Um, but there's also, there's, I'm living in an apartment at the moment in uh, Paran and there's a cafe downstairs and um whenever i go in there i think i you know i think kind of think they they know who i am a little bit sometimes and they give me like free coffees and stuff and i always feel bad because i'll I'll go down there because i want to support sort of local business (laughs) and um so now there's this thing where the the guy who owns it he he gives me a free coffee all the time and it's awesome and i you know i just think it's really special so whenever i make stuff and i'm making stuff all the time in my apartment because i'm doing all these classes here, then I just, I knock, I, I send it downstairs to, to the cafe and distribute it to those guys as well. So I'm, I'm always looking for someone that I can, uh, you know, give something away to. Um, so yeah, it, it does get, it does get distributed, but I do give it a good crack myself, I must admit. I have a confession to make, Darren. I was chatting with Kath afterwards, just going, hey, that was a really great class. Hey, what are you doing with all that cheesecake? <laughs> Did you really? <laughs> it's what the hell, Paul? <laughs> If you don't ask, you, it's, <laughs> you, don't, you, oh, out, you must stop. I didn't realise. 
it would have it would have been on its way to you. Had you got to be you got to be you got to be a bit more forceful because um, the subtlety's lost on me. It's like Darren, give me the cheesecake. Hang on. So you're telling me if I'd said Darren, I want that cheesecake, you would have probably. No, the thing is, I feel like look. I often say this. I often think. Tegan's very subtle. If she wants something, she will give off signals. But I've said to her, you're being too subtle. Just ask for the thing. I'm but... not asking for cheesecake. No, Paul. you're asking with your eyes, okay? <laughs> Just lusting for this cheesecake. Oh, gosh. Darren, you said something a little while back that I want to circle back to very quickly. Uh, you mentioned Christmas trees. Let's first of all enjoy the fact that you set your Christmas trees up very early. I have two questions. One, uh, do you decorate the thing the whole way around? Uh, as in, do you have the back of it that looks kind of pathetic that's against the wall, or do you do a full 360? And secondly, what day is it acceptable to take the tree down? Because Tegan almost wants to burn the thing the day after Christmas. <laughs> right, I'm an expert on both of those questions. Um, uh, I do all the way around because um, it's currently situated, the front of my tree at the moment, I'm looking at it, it looks mm. awesome. Um, but the back is actually um, facing a window, and I'm in an apartment, uh, first floor apartment, and... I have to decorate the back because I don't want anyone to think that I'm one of those ones who only does um, a half a job. Uh, and also, I want to spread the Christmas cheer around the neighbourhood as well. So, for sure, definitely the back has been done. It's quite a big tree, so we kind of we did stuff on the back and then pushed it towards the window in position, and then put the I guess the marquee stuff on the front. <laughs> um, um, but we've got quite a lot of decorations that we've collected over the years. So, um, and we're always adding to it. I find that um, I, it could even be like a couple of days before we take it down. That it's like, oh, you know, let's just put that one on there as well because we've got more than we need. But um, yeah, I'm kind of, I'm very flamboyant in my tree decorating. I'm, I'm, I'm like the Elton John of Christmas tree decorators. <laughs> um, so it's, it's pretty out there. Um, but I, I like to think it's tasteful, but um yeah, Kat won't let me go too far. You know, she'll say, back up, step away from the tree, Darren. Like she, like I do with, um, with cakes so I'm like, I'm, or desserts. I'm kind of like finishing something and, you know, she thinks it's, it's done and I'm just, I can't stop. I keep adding stuff. She's like, step away from the cake. I go, okay, okay, sorry. <laughs> she, she's like the voice of reason. Um, so, yeah, uh, but in terms of bringing the tree down, um, I, although I love tradition Christmas, I don't, I don't adhere to the traditional uh, 12 days of Christmas. My dad would be mortified if he, uh, if he knew that the tree was coming down too early. You know, they kind of do the whole 12th night thing and, you know, bring it down the right day. Otherwise, the whole world's going to end. But what we do around here is we get it up early and we also use it as propping for any food shots that we want to take with a Christmas tree in the background. So that's another reason why it goes oh, up early. We can, we can get a bit of Christmas content going. Um, and it, it actually comes down on the day of New Year's Eve. So it, uh, we spend the day, um, you know, carefully packing it away. And it does take a while. We've got the last of the Christmas music going. And then we kind of um, ease into sort of uh, the evening, which will be, I, we'll either go to a restaurant or it'll be, sort of me cooking or me and Kath cooking and, and there'll be things like prawns and stuff and we'll go into the new year with a really sort of clean house and a clean space and you know we'll talk we'll talk about even about what we want to achieve in the next year and uh, yeah we'll kind of put Christmas to bed um, the tree goes away on, on New Year's Eve so that's our little thing um, it, it makes us feel great waking up New Year's Day 
trying to go for a walk around the town and uh, and then getting into the new year and trying to achieve all the things that we want to achieve. I love that, actually. I think there's really beautiful symbolism there. I- I've got to ask, you've mentioned Kath a few times now. Birch and Purchase really did start from these two love stories. It's your love of dessert and also <laughs> the love story between you and Kath because it started when you both met in Brisbane. Is that right? Correct, yeah. Um, yeah, Kath, Kath looked like the she's the hidden one. So she doesn't like the, uh, the limelight or or any sort of uh, attention being brought on her. She's quite an introverted person. Um, and, she's going to hate this. Well, she doesn't mind being spoken about, I guess. But <laughs> but, it, but it's very rare you'll see her in a photo. Um, you know, you'll have to do a bit of a Google. She, it's, it's, she, doesn't, she always manages to find a reason to take the shot instead of being in the shot. Um, but... You know that that's an admirable quality <laughs> compared. Uh, you know me. On the other hand, I'm like you know, get me in there. You know, where where's the camera? And <laughs> 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 um, so it's. I, I guess we make a good match. Contrast contrastingly, we make a good match. But yeah, um, I met Kath. Uh, she, for some of your listeners will know if listening to a food podcast um, that she was um, quite a celebrated chef. Um, a while ago, and she had lots of restaurants um, in Melbourne and interstate. She was known for her sort of Mediterra- Mediterranean and Middle Eastern cuisine. Um, and she was opening a restaurant in Brisbane just, uh, I think, in 2004 when I was invited um, to go to Brisbane sort of food festival to present. I was invited from London. Uh, there was an Australian chef who was due to present, and he... Um, he didn't have a passport. He didn't have the visa, correct? So he couldn't return to his own country oh, because wow. he, yeah, he lived in he'd lived in the UK. Um, and I was like a last-minute replacement. I was, um, well, my my executive chef was a last-minute replacement, and he said, "I'm bringing Darren because I'm bags of fun." And also, you know, I'll get the job done. I'll, I'll crack out all the mise en place while he's sort of swanning around. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, but, but. Um, yeah, we went out. We we came over, and I was like, "What is this place? This is incredible!" You know, um, the, the weather was amazing. Um, uh, I was introduced to all these sort of chefs. I was introduced to Kath at a cocktail party, and she hates these things. And she's like, "I think I think it was me actually." I said, "You know, do you want to get out of here?" Because I could see she's uncomfortable. And we just um, we just ended up spending you know the next sort of uh, four or five days together, um, and it was really special. And um, we I organised a trip to Noosa after the food festival, and um, b- before I was due to fly back to London, and um, I got up there and Kath was up there. She had organised a couple of days, so we spent another couple oh, of days. Wow. So oh. yeah, it was awesome. It was awesome. It's really awesome. And um, I went. Long story short, I went back to London. I said, "That's it. I met a girl. I'm moving to Australia." And they all said, "Wow, you know, like." What 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 happened over there? Um, so it, it took me about twelve months to finally arrive in Australia permanently. Um, in in that twelve months, Kath visited me in the UK and um, had a holiday, and you know went out to restaurants and got to know each other a bit more. And then we had a bit more of a relationship, you know, through email stuff like that. I don't, I don't think we had FaceTime then. I I arrived in Melbourne. And I think it was raining. I said, "What is this place? This isn't Brisbane." <laughs> what a letdown! It's England. Yeah. <laughs> Where, where's Brisbane? Where's Where's Queensland? Where's the sun? 
she's like, this is Melbourne. It's a bit like UK. And I was like, oh, right, okay. Um, no, it was awesome. Um, arrived in Melbourne, and I didn't know anything about Australian food, Australian cuisine, Australian restaurants or chefs. I didn't really know anything. And she threw me the good food guide and said, you better get a job. Um, and I thought, right, well, I'll just I'll, I'll open it and start at the top, work my way down. Um, but I, I was very lucky enough to get a job at the number one restaurant at the time. Um, so I, I worked, I went to go and see Shannon Bennett and I worked at View de Monde and that was my first um, introduction to the Melbourne food team um, around about 2005, um, working at View de Monde for a few years and it was awesome. So I got to meet loads of people and um, it really kind of set the tone for, for my future career in Melbourne. Yeah. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Amazing. I am currently reading Down and Out in Paris and London by George Orwell, which I know is a pretty strange different direction to go in. But it sounds like, you know, the way he depicts the food industry, it's it's pretty brutal and it's pretty hard. Yeah. And all we've yeah. heard about throughout COVID over the past year is that the hard industry got even harder. But yeah. you and Kath seems to have weathered this storm together and not only survived, but, you know, every time Paul and I walk past your sweet studio, you guys are just run off your feet busy because there's just so much success yeah. there. I mean, that must be, it must be, first of all, just such a hard balance dealing with all of that in the world. But then as a couple, you know, you guys working together throughout all that, it, it must yeah. have been very stressful. It is stressful, but it's also strength uh, working with your partner who you get on really well with all the time. We're very lucky. Um, obviously, that in times of you know depressive times, that's, that's a real strength. So we take we draw strength from each other, and we look after each other at home and at work. Um, um, but yeah, you know, I don't I don't want to dwell too much on the COVID thing. It's like mm. it's been it was hard for everyone and in different ways, and obviously it was hard for us. Um, but we have managed to sort of find a path through it. Um, successfully but you know we we're quite flexible and we're quite um you know inventive and we're prepared to make big decisions quite quickly and not look back so that's kind of what we did at sweet studio we said right straight away we're not a shop anymore we're an online store click and collect you drive through around the back um you pre-order uh we'll cut the the you know, the business hours down from five day, uh, from seven days to five so we can keep the same team um, on the same roster and we try and look after everyone here and, and continue what we're doing and navigate through this. You know, we were deemed as an essential service, like a food business, so we kind of kept open and we're making kegs and people, even in, like, terrible times and also financially restricted times, they still want, like, a little bit of luxury and everyone wants a birthday cake, so... We managed to work our way through it and also refine our business model at the same time, which was um, really exciting because we've finally got something now that um, is, is kind of where we wanted to be, but we may, may not have got here 
had COVID not hit. And I'm not saying I'm thankful for COVID, mm. but I'm saying that, um, you know, we've, we've managed to get to where, closer to where we need to be probably quicker than we would have done. Yeah. Um, but, um, yeah, um, it's interesting you said that book, George Orwell. I, I used to read that. I used to read that book a long time ago because I started out as a, a, a dishwasher or a plongeur, he called it, um, yeah. in, in France. And, yeah, it's a very interesting book on, um, you know, not only life in kitchens, but also, you know, like an assessment of poverty, having money and not having money. Mm. Um, yeah, it's, it's really awesome. So, um, uh, yeah, it's, it's interesting you mentioned that because I did start out washing dishes a very long time ago. And I think that washing dishes, working in kitchens or working in hospitality, um, I listened to your one with Julia Zamira earlier and she was saying that being a waitress really helped her in her sort of later life of, you know, presenting a, and maybe broadcasting or entertaining. I do believe that jobs in the kitchen or his hospitality waitressing help you not only in, in Julia Zamira's career, but just in life in general, dealing with different people, mm. um, working under pressure, um, you know, navigating different situations uh i think it really does sort of help and i would encourage anyone to you know be a waiter or waitress um and or or work in a kitchen even if it's just for a little while just so you can see different personalities and and how you can you know um navigate your your future self i think it teaches you very good skills yeah, when I was 15, it was time to do work experience at school and we had a regular kind of cafe restaurant we went to and I got work experience as a dish pig, basically. And I think what they got was free labor, but I ended up working there for about two years, just, yeah, cleaning dishes and being a kitchen hand. And I yeah. wanted to be a chef and there was a point where I dropped out of high school in year 10 and I was seriously considering going and getting into the, the industry and becoming an actual chef. And... I, I regret that I didn't on a weekly basis, especially now during lockdown when... Do you really? Do you actually think now about a, a career in food? Well, you know how much I love cooking. I know. I didn't <laughs> think that you you were thinking about it in those terms, though. No, I mean, I just... I Look, I think it would have brought out a lot of things in my personality that would have been really odd. I mean, Darren, you seem borderline saint-like at this point, but you don't seem <laughs> quite so bubbly and friendly when you are torturing MasterChef contestants with just these insane <laughs> challenges. I mean... Do you have that side in you that likes to kind of mess with people? Uh, yeah, <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Um, I do, I do. I, I love, I love. I'm just being careful of what I say here. I know this is being recorded and it can get brought up in in the future. Um, you know, I've worked in I've worked in crazy kitchens before. I worked in toxic environments, and I, I worked in places where it was. I mean, and also in a time where it was kind of the norm. And I, I'm thankful that we're now out of that sort of period in cooking. Although I probably wouldn't change my um, some of the stuff I've done in the past in terms of where I worked and some of the stuff I put up with, yeah. um, because I think it's formed me as a person and and as a chef. But not necessarily everything uh, that that I've experienced in kitchens is is a good thing. And um, and uh, do you know what? There was a lot of time wasted in kitchens back then as well. You know, a lot of repetitive stuff. So um, I, I regret that more than getting my ass kicked by a chef. Because usually if you get your ass kicked, it's because it's because you've done something wrong. And in those times, you know, it was, it, was, it, it was the done thing. And, you know, I'm not saying that that's right. And it's definitely not right. But um, I, I 
personally think I deserve a kick up the arse if I do something wrong because it means <laughs> I won't, I'll, I'll remember it and I won't do it again. But I, I guess some of the stuff I regret in past kitchens is doing the same job over and over again. It was like there were so many chefs and so many, um, you know, staff that were available to places then. I was in a big hotel and there was 125 chefs. So often you'd be um, doing like a repetitive task over and over again for weeks and weeks and weeks. And it's like, I don't need to do it. I know how to do it now, but basically you were just a cog in a wheel. Yeah. So I, I regret some of the time that I've lost because I feel like I could achieve more. But um, I don't regret some of the, the crazy experiences. Um, and yeah, but I'm thankful we're now through that. And, and I'm thankful now I, I get to appear regularly on, um, on a TV show that is so positive and so all about food and so... Um, so life-changing for some people, and that sounds a bit, you know, I, I don't want to sound, you know, um, non, non-genuine, but uh, it is life-changing for some people. And I do really enjoy going on there and encouraging as well as setting a crazy uh, task or challenge. But, it's, it, you know, with, with those challenges, um, it's nothing that can, cannot be done. You know, I work my way back. They say, right, can you set a pressure test? Um, you know, I'll sort of say, you know, is there any ingredient you want me to use? You know, because I don't know the context of the season that far. You know, but maybe I'm coming up with a dish that's coconut. And last week is through, you know, coconut and coconut the week before. Mm. So I kind of ask for, I'm experienced enough now. I've been on the show a while to ask for sort of um, tips. You know, do you want me to use, what do, you want, what do you want me to use? And then I kind of come up with the hardest dish possible and I make it myself. And I time myself and I and um, I try and get it. And then I just try and refine that recipe back. I try and tweak it back so that someone could finish it in two hours. That's the first question I ask them when they ask me to make a pressure test. How long have the contestants got? And basically, I come up with a dish that goes right to that second. Oh. Um, because because although I know my I know how to cook and I'm running around and I know, you know, so I've got that advantage. The contestants do have the advantage of having the recipe in front of them. So um, if you know, if this is Master Chef after all, so um, you've got to know how to cook. So I kind of, I kind of make it right to that minute. And um, the the worst pressure tests are the ones where no one gets anything right. The best ones are where all four of them complete a dish, feel a sense of accomplishment. Um, there's drama at the end because everyone's plating right at the last minute. Um, but even though someone sadly usually goes home on a pressure test. Everyone feels like they've learned something, and um, you know, that, I think that's what makes a good pressure test. So I think I've set more pressure tests than anyone in the history of MasterChef. So oh, wow. I, I, I think I know what I'm talking about, but um, yeah, it's, it's fun, um, and I just love being part of something that's very positive. I hate it when they have to go on, but um, yeah. But, uh, yeah, it's a great show. It is. We've just absolutely loved. We're currently watching the season of Celebrity Master Chef, and mm. that's a whole lot of fun too. It <laughs> does make me feel really bad about my skills at home, but that's okay. Um, but Dan, we know you have to run off soon. So just before we find out what your non-Christmas, your actual just official Desert Island dish is, I've got one other question, and it is going to put yeah. you on the spot a bit because this is a big oh, one. Dear. It's going to go on the record. But I know that you are a huge Doctor Who fan. It is one of the things that we have bonded with over the years. So once and for all, just for all the other fans out there, because I know there are a few who listen, do you have a favourite Doctor? Of course I do. But it's it's, it's got to be generational, isn't it? Um, I, I, I don't know 
I mean, Tom Baker for me is is like the Doctor Who. Um, but it's probably because of the, the, you know, my age at that time. I was sort of I really can't sort of remember uh, Patrick Troughton too much, or just you know prior to that. Although I knew it was on. Um, I, I, the ones that really stand out in my head where I'm 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 behind the sofa, mum saying, "Get up, Darren! It's only it's only <laughs> makeup." I mean, when you look back at the episodes now, it's just ridiculous. Like, was I scared of that? But Tom Baker was the one, and you know, I remember Peter Davison really well because I remember he had the cricket um, sweatshirt on, and uh, Colin Baker as well. They they were they were like the great times of of me watching Doc Two. I still love the show, and I. I Support uh, Jodie in her role as well. I think she's awesome. Um, so all the Jodie haters out there, um, you know, sort yourselves out. <laughs> she, <laughs> she, I just think she's great. And I think Doctor Who can be anyone or anything, you know, like the whole gender thing is crazy. You know, the, 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 you know it's an alien with two hearts. So um, it can look and be anything. And I think that's what the appeal of Doctor Who is. I always love the regeneration of episodes. Um, I actually had a photo shoot of me. Uh, we recreated uh, the TARDIS in, I don't want to sound sad, like a like nerdy, sad, sad <laughs> nerd. But I'm, I'm, um, yeah, we recreated a Doctor Who scene in, in the Sweet Studio and we had a TARDIS there and I had some liquid nitrogen inside the TARDIS and it was kind of like creating this like ethereal smoke. And I kind of, uh, the picture was me coming out of the TARDIS with this, space age dessert in my hand and uh, we did that for um an, an art exhibition for the melbourne film festival um a long time ago and um it's one of my favorite photos i think it's my first ever instagram um and and curiously enough uh i i ha- i think i've been on instagram for for quite a while and i hadn't thought of that photo again and then you, you know when you get um you look at your instagram you see someone's like to photo from ages ago mm. and you go like, who's doing that what's what's going on there then um i i don't i don't want to like i name drop too much here but i thought it was really weird because uh, matt lucas who you will know obviously yes. was on doctor who liked my doctor who photo about two weeks ago oh my um, god <laughs> yeah seriously and i like it must have been years ago that um that i posted that and I, it's like I, I do I do know him a little bit, but we're not like best mates or anything. Um, but you know, how did he find that? Did, was he was he searching hashtag Doctor Who? Was he you know was he just having a bit of a play around and then saw it and then liked it? I don't know, but I just thought it was really awesome that someone from the show liked my Doctor Who picture, even though it was about sort of ten years too late. Um, they still they still went on there and found it in the end. So that was awesome. Yeah, we do love Doctor Who. I, um, yeah. I've always thought that I'm I'm no actor, obviously, but if if I could choose, even though I've done an episode of Neighbours, and I think you have as well, Tegan. Yeah, yeah, but you had a better uh, role on Neighbours, trust me. <laughs> I would like to do, I would like to be in Doctor Who in the background somewhere, doing something, Neighbours and something in James Bond, and then that would be me, my, that's, that's my um, acting career over. I guess that's probably what most actors <laughs> would want to do. But, um, but yeah, that, that would do me. That would do me. Just a bit part. For a man who doesn't think he's a Whovian or doesn't want to be referred to as a Whovian, that is one of the nerdiest bits that I've heard. That is definitely the nerdiest <laughs> spiel that we've had on this show. But uh, I don't oh. look up off as a nerd, but here's four minutes of why I'm a huge nerd. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no. No, that's completely opposite. 
No. I was, I was well, trying know. to be pa- I was trying to be pally with you two because I know you like Doctor Who. I'm like, oh, what would they like me to say? It's all fake. It's all fake. But look, I think okay. So we we really need to get to the kind of the the crux of the reason you're here. You're stranded on this island with us, and you can yeah. only bring one dish with you. Now, given you are the king of desserts, I guess the assumption is that you're bringing dessert. But I mean, what yeah. is your desert island dish? Yeah, I thought long and hard about this, and and also, you know. It's, I've heard uh, some of your guests, I've listened to a couple of previous ones, so I don't want to repeat anything. And I know you've had Heimlich's chicken twice. I, I could easily choose that because it's one of my favorite dishes, but I don't have the history attached to it, I guess. And I probably can't explain it as well as Melissa Leong, and I probably can't cook it as well as Adam Liao. Mm. Um, so we'll leave that. But, um, you know, would it be a dessert? I don't think so. I, I guess going back to the start of the show, I'm in my shorts. We're outside. Uh, we're, we're cooking. We're cooking together. And I've got loads of people there. So this has got, you know, I'm, I think of this question as a chef. I go, right, how many people we serve him? What are dietaries? <laughs> um, so I, I'm going to choose a, a Spanish paella. And you might think that Ooh. that's, um, yeah, you might think that that's a bit crazy for the pastry chef guy, but I do cook savory. My wife cooks a mean paella. It's one of our fondest things that we we think back on and remember she cooked one in spain once we went traveling in spain and we took our own knives and tea towels abroad with us because you know you know you never know when you're going to get a blunt knife or a crappy tea towel that doesn't absorb anything so we always travel with those things because we love to cook in um overseas uh and she cooked like an awesome uh, paella and we you know we cook it often ever since but this is a dish where Everyone can kind of stand around. We can all have a bit of a drink beforehand, you know, maybe a couple of coconuts beforehand. I'm in my shorts. We're all telling a few stories. I know someone else has bought dessert. I'm getting to know some of the people that I I don't know um, who are on the island. And it's kind of a social event because I'm thinking this island doesn't have a, you know, a lot of infrastructure. So (laughs) dinner time might be... You know, the highlight of the day, we've all been out and done a bit of hunting or whatever you do on an island, but we get together at the end of the day and swap stories and and, and come together as a community. And I reckon a big kind of flame of uh, paella and I'm cooking away and which also we're chucking different stuff in there. So paella traditionalists will tell you, you know, you can't put chorizo in paella or, you know, ha- you know traditional paella Valencia will have... Um, you know, rabbit and snails in, but with a paella, really, because we're from Australia and we love to take dishes from overseas and make them our own and do whatever we want because we can kind of do that because we've never had the, you know, the food history to start off with. We we rely on people coming over here and showing us dishes and then we make them our own. We're just chucking in whatever we got. So, you know, Dami M's just done a bit of spear fishing and she's caught, caught some snapper. <laughs> yeah. You know, Georgia Love is just, you know, she's chucking in some uh, some native herbs or, or whatever. We're all just kind of chucking stuff in there. We're cooking it together and we're enjoying it together. And I think that's really what food's all about. And although that's not a dish that I'm known for, I reckon it's a dish that I could eat again and again uh, because you can kind of tweak it with whatever you got and it will keep everyone happy and... That's what it's all about, I reckon. What, what do you think of that? Not only is that a staggering answer, Darren, it's the only answer that has made me want to be on this island. You're the, 
you were the only person who has painted some weird utopian picture where we're all kind of swanning around. There's no war. There's no. There's no infighting with Celia's army. It just sounds chill as it heck. It does. It's, I know. I know. We probably shouldn't take sides, but I think that is my favourite mm. answer of the season. Uh. That's amazing. Well, Darren, thank you so much for joining us on Dish Island. I cannot stress enough how much of a pleasure it is to have you here. Pleasure. It's my absolute pleasure. I listen to this podcast all the time, so. Um, it's an honour to be on there with so many awesome people and uh, it's good to know you two as well. Tegan, we now have two Darrens on the island and I don't know which one is sweeter. Oh, Paul. <laughs> oh, Paul, you sweetheart. Wasn't it just the most fantastic chat? Yeah, I learned a lot about him. And also, I'm still not convinced he's not Santa. No, I know. We're going to have to keep a real close eye on him on Christmas Eve. But we just want to say, look, as a special little add-on, Paul and I have actually sampled Darren's Yule Log, mm-hmm. which now that I say it sounds out loud... super rude. It's <laughs> really rude. Yep. But it's amazing. And I know for a fact that Birch and Purchase are only doing a very limited run of all of their Christmas treats this year. So I do implore you to get online and put in your orders nice and early. So what's in Darren's enormous log? Stop it. I'm not going into the details of Darren's log, but what I will tell you is that there are mince pies, uh, which you can bake at home, ham jam, which also, I don't know. Hang on, what's ham jam? I don't know, but it also sounds rude. I don't know what's happening with this list. The loaded festive brownie, which we spoke about before. There's lots of stuff, so you should get online. But here's the really exciting thing I want to talk about, which is that this Sunday, Darren is doing a Lamingtons and Lemon Tart Masterclass online, 2pm on Sunday, the 28th of November. Tickets are still available, although I think they are close to selling out. But I know that Paul and I are going, we're going to sit there and try and figure out how to nail a lemon tart even close to what Darren can. But you really should come along because in the lead up to Christmas, you're going to have people over. You want to impress them. Mm. Get your treat game down. The thing about Darren is when I I say he's a dessert warlock, I'm not joking. He makes the most incredible things. He has an amazing eye for detail. And what's great about a Darren Purchase creation is nothing else looks like it. So if you head along to this masterclass, you're going to learn some of his amazing tips and tricks. And also, you're probably going to get to meet Kath. Paul? Yeah? This is the last episode for our Dish Island season yeah. for 2021. It feels very odd and sort of bittersweet, but... As mentioned at the start of the episode, we've got something very, very special in store to kind of make it up to you. From the 1st to the 12th of December, we are going to be hosting a very special Christmas mini-series where every day for the 12 days of Dishmas... Every day. Every day. Every frigging day. so sorry, Paul. That's okay. But every single day, we're going to be releasing a mini-episode mm. with tips and incredible Christmas stories from more wonderful, wonderful guests. It's just going to be a lot of bloody Christmassy fun. That's right. And we'll be asking our guests all kinds of Christmas-related stuff, including the pressing question, what their desert island Christmas dish is. (laughs) Which I've realised is exactly what Bill Nighy does in Love Actually, where we've just changed one word to make it a Christmas series. (laughs) Yeah. So it's going to be a lot of fun and a lot of work. So make sure you listen. (laughs) Seriously, it's like an advent calendar, a Christmassy audio advent calendar. Every single morning for the first 12 days of December, a brand new Christmas episode right up in your stocking. You shouldn't say that things are up in things. But sometimes they are. Like you said before, get a Yule log up you and that's upsetting. But uh, it's so tasty. I love Darren's log. Stop it. Anyway, thank you so much for listening to not just this episode of Dish Island, but this season of Dish Island. We have had so much fun with you. And remember, socks don't count as presents. So kids, if you get anything practical, ask for a refund. (laughs) I'm not joking. Stop it. Socks aren't presents. Don't forget to follow us on Instagram at Dish Island. 
Dish Island is a proud member of the ACAST Creator Network. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Mm. 